Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Super Deck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. You're listening to Defining Us, a special four-part series on Crooked Conversations. I'm Grace Parra. And I'm Jalisa Arce. So in episode one, we talked about our origin story and the fact that Latinx communities are not newcomers. In episode two, we talked about the leadership of Latinos in the civil rights movement and the continuing struggles that we're still fighting today. And now in the third part of our series, we want to talk about where we are right now in America in 2018 specifically with regard to representation in entertainment and why it matters that we be more inclusive and tap into the weight of our wallet to demand more accurate representation. Because even though Latinos are huge buyers of movie tickets and we make up 24% of frequent moviegoers, we only make up 2.7% of roles played in major movies and about 6% of roles on television. Ugh. So we're going to talk about this as well as the value and the emotions behind Latino-specific programming, what kinds of misconceptions and stereotypes are hurting the Latinx community, what responsibility we have as Latino consumers to support Latino projects, even if we don't love them. And then we have a very special conversation with one of the leading journalists of our time, Jorge Ramos. We talk about his experience as a journalist in both the U.S. and Mexico, the power of being bilingual, about not feeling American enough in the U.S., and his thoughts on immigration. So stick around. So I was really excited. Um, I've been really excited the past year because I kept seeing all these headlines about shows that were being developed that... Uh, you know, Gina Rodriguez was behind a bunch of projects and there were specifically a lot of them around immigration storylines. Mm -hmm. So I was super pumped that, you know, there were stories that were being developed that would uh, sort of fill this gap mm -hmm. of 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 uh, content that tells our stories. And I also say, like, I've my my first book, My Underground American Dream, is being developed as a television series with America Ferrera, and we've been working on it for um, almost two years now. Uh, and so when I saw all these other immigration stories, I was like, yes, please, one of these needs to get made. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, none of the sort of original <laughs> news stories got picked up for pilot. The stories that did get picked up were remakes of Roswell and of Party of Five with an immigration twist. Mm -hmm. And I was so annoyed because I think that it's there's just like a ton of pandering that is going on right now where I think a lot of studios want to get like the good PR of we're being more inclusive. We're going to be more. We're going to have better representation in our shows. And, you know, they get all the good press. They yep. get all the fucking claps for it. But then none of these are actually getting made. They don't actually develop them beyond the pilot stage. Yeah. I, 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 we're seeing that across the board, by the way. It is, to be fair, very difficult to take a project from development into series because the it is financial very hard. commitment. Yeah. I, I'll say that across the board. But I think I agree with you completely. It is infuriating, especially as a creator myself, to be on the side of television. For example, I, I'm developing a late night show, which would make me the first Latina to have her own late night talk show. Let's make that happen. Let's make that happen. Exactly. I will watch it even <laughs> if it's not great. <laughs> as long as you watch it in the background, that's all I care about. Even if it's not actually, I just I love I love it. <laughs> um, it you know, but it is it is it is shocking to me that when I started developing this project in late 2016, it is now late 2018, and within that last two years of this this uh, uh, of our culture, we still have not seen a Latina have yeah. her own late night talk yeah. show. And that's just one example that, that you know I come from that world. But it's it is shocking to me that even with there being a number of studios and networks picking up kind of any 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 story from from um, uh, you know people with minority backgrounds, uh, we're still not seeing them go to series. Yeah. Well, what's also annoying to me about these particular uh, reboots with immigration twist mm -hmm. uh, is that you know none of like the creators of these shows don't actually have any personal experiences, right? So right. like one of the producers from uh, from Party of Five. 
they said today stories of families being separated, children having to raise themselves in the wake of their parents' deportations don't require any imagination. They are everywhere. Mm-hmm. So why don't you fucking tell one of the real <laughs> stories of someone that actually lived through it? Yeah. If you're saying these stories are everywhere, we don't need to imagine them, then why aren't you telling those stories? You know, like I think one of these two series, either Party of Five or um, or Roswell, like is slated to have a um, a Latino director. Mm-hmm. So that's something. Um, but still, I'm like, you know, we need to stop just kind of waving this little flag of like, we're going to make great, diverse content just for the claps and just for the PR. Yeah, also, why couldn't the Party of Five reboot just be about a Latino family? Why did it have to come in the wake of their parents getting deported? Couldn't their parents just have, couldn't they just be orphans like they were in the original series? I mean, in other words, like, we're also seeing retreading of territory when it comes to Hispanic representation on camera that all comes back down to a similar immigration story. If we're going to tell that story, have it fucking be original. Right, why don't you tell the story of an undocumented person who became a Wall Street executive? Yeah. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. I don't, I, you know, I, I, again, I understand that it's it's always risky to take a chance on a new voice, but I think it is unbelievably infuriating, especially in this day and age when there are 4,500 platforms out there, that it is so hard to get these stories made. Yeah. It's think, so hard. I also think like a lot of these, what, what we're seeing is the continuation of the Latino stereotype in, yeah. in entertainment, right? So whether it's uh, Latinas playing like an the over the overwhelming majority of maids that you see on television are played by Latinas. And I do want to be very clear that it's not like being a maid is something to be ashamed of right, or something right, that's right. you know. I know my 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 mom, my parents. I mean, they would have cleaned homes, whatever, to provide for us. So like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's such like a, a hard working job to have. Uh, but why don't we have, you know, Latinas who are lawyers and doctors and, and all these other professions that we are in real life, yeah. right? Or when you see a, a man, a Latino, on on any of these shows, it's like playing the drug dealer or the cartel member. And it's so fucking annoying. I mean, I know yeah. you have some thoughts about Sicario. Uh, yeah, I mean, I couldn't... I, <laughs> God, Sicario too, man. It it is just so frustrating when there's so little representation, and then when when there is, it's Sicario. I mean, I I just I remember watching it, being mortified that this is the the Latino movie that I'd seen in 2018. I don't know that there was another movie. Actually, I will point to one other movie that I saw. Um, it was called, uh, it was uh, Stephanie Beatriz is the star of it, and it's an indie film. Um, the Light of the Moon is what it's called. And um, she's brilliant in it, and it has nothing to do with uh, Hispanic identity, but she uh, ha- is is a Latina and she's a lead in the movie and I remember being being struck by this uh, one scene that she had with the character's mother and the character's mother speaks to her in Spanish and she speaks back in English and it's never addressed but it's the first time that I've seen that and it's the first time that I've seen that kind of bilingualism happen in the context of a movie that has nothing to do with immigration and it has nothing to do with her Latina identity. It's a movie about sexual assault, as a matter of fact. And she just happens to be Latina. And yeah. I was struck how, again, in 2018, that is the first time that I've seen that. There, well, there was also um, We the Animals yes, uh, with heard, Raul Castillo, yeah. which was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a coming-of-age uh, story about a... A, a Puerto Rican uh, queer boy mm-hmm. sort of first discovering his identity as as a gay boy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such an amazing film. It was like on Sun. I'm sure. I think it won like a bunch of awards in Sundance. Um, and and hopefully that's going to be that. I really want that film to have like wide yeah. release because it, it had limited release in New York and LA. Yeah, it was amazing. That's, that's and those victories are. Those are, I think, the victories for us, seeing those kinds of stories that are that kind of extend beyond almost in a more intersectional way, you know, bringing in voices that are a little unexpected to the community. I mean, I'll tell you what's a step back, which is we were just talking about this before the the mics were turned on. That movie Peppermint starring Jennifer Garner, which nobody in our room has in this room has seen on purpose because we've seen the trailer and we know that the story is about uh, a pretty white woman whose family family gets killed by cartels who are all Latino yeah, it, it is just, it's so upsetting. <sighs> well, what's what's really interesting to me is, um, you know, as much as we don't have 
enough representation. We have had historically some amazing wins or some amazing actors, actresses who have sort of broken through and made it, right? Mm -hmm. Even dating back to like the 1920s and 30s when Dolores Rio, uh, a Mexican um, actor, she was the first major female Latin American crossover star in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Uh, She started in What Price Glory, Resurrection, and Ramona. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, we all know Desi Arnaz from... um, from I Love Lucy in the mm-hmm. 1950s, right? Mm-hmm. So we have had some of those uh, wins, but I'm wondering why do you think that we haven't been able to build on that success in a more major way? I think that that's that's a brilliant question. I have a few answers for it, and this is something I'm very excited for our, our Twitter followers to also hit us back with because I think that you could write a thesis about this. First is I think for every Hollywood star uh, who has been proud and vocal about being Latino, there are two or three more who either deny it or who only use it when it's convenient. Everybody's got their own journey with their with their identity. Mm-hmm. Everybody really does, and I, I I'm not trying to put people on blast for that because I understand that sometimes it's it's. It's hard. It's hard. And you do what you have to do. Dude, I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast. I try to pass myself off as Italian for the first seven years of my life. I'm not proud of that, but I did because I didn't think it was sexy or cool to be Mexican. I didn't. Um, But I think uh, I only bring this up because every time that a Hollywood star makes it big and either denies their Hispanic heritage or pushes it down or only uses it when it's convenient, that's part of preventing us from being able to make these big strides that you that you mentioned correctly yeah. mentioned and co- correctly questioned why we haven't yeah. done that yet um, well, I also I also wonder like what responsibility like big movie stars have in sort of like once you've made it mm-hmm. right and I I love this um I love this this quote in uh you know that movie working girl yeah like the 19 1980s yeah. movie and um and uh she says you know when you make it to the top, you can break the rules plenty. But when you're someone like me, you can't make it to the top unless you break the rules. Yeah. And I think that that's part of what uh, perhaps a lot of these actors and actresses face in Hollywood where, you know, like they it's it. I can't imagine it's been easy for them. No. And so, yeah, sometimes you do what you have to do. Right. Um, but I wonder, like, for example, when we talk about like Jennifer Lopez, right, like she's like such a huge star, mm-hmm. like huge star Mm -hmm. and she commands a lot of respect and she's done so many amazing things but I'm always puzzled by the fact that you know she's someone that that has played non-Latina roles Mm -hmm. in like big movies right like for example with The Wedding Planner Mm -hmm. she was um, Italian Mm -hmm. right and like in Enough I don't remember exactly what she was in Enough but she definitely was not like portrayed as like distinctively Latina Mm -hmm. Um, so you know she can She's passed for like, quote unquote, white roles in certain movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then in Made in Manhattan, she was Latina. Yeah. And she she played a Latina role. So I'm like, why? Why did you do that? Like, why couldn't you be? Why couldn't you be a Latina in Wedding Planner? You know, like. There are Latina wedding planners. Like, why did you have to? Why did you have? To, why did you only have to play a Latina when it came to you playing a role where you're a maid and this like white rich guy rescues you? Like that really annoys me. Yeah. And I think she's someone that that you know she's in a position where she can probably do whatever movie she wants to do. Yeah. So what responsibility do people who have made it have to bring others with them and to use their stature? to try to change things? I think it's that's a great question. I think I could imagine somebody like Jennifer... Well, let's think about with Jennifer Lopez's career in particular, she did start by playing the most iconic Latina imaginable. I mean, she was Selena. And she did a great job. I loved that movie, and I loved her in that movie. And that's an example of somebody playing... Latina playing a Latina... And it being a true homage, I, I felt like that movie was a real homage. And I love, I remember that movie coming out and being like, oh, it's cool to be Latina. It's like fun and a little hip and yeah. sexy. And, and that movie was was also produced by Latinos. Yes. Right? So like Moctezuma Esparza, who we had on the show, yeah. was a producer on, on Selena. And I think yeah. that's also what it takes, right? It takes for us to tell our stories, yeah. not let somebody else tell our stories because they're going to not tell them the right way. I know that there are Latinos who don't feel the same about, for example, um, 
the two Mexican directors who have won, you know, many, many Oscars, um, Guillermo del, del Toro, del Toro mm -hmm. um, and uh, Iñárritu. Iñárritu, yes. Yeah. And um, Alfonso Cuaron. That's the, those are the, like the, the, the trifecta, trio there. Yeah. right? And so, like, they're yeah. very, um, they've gotten a lot of criticism for as successful as directors as they've been. How come they don't have Latinos in their films, right? Oh, like, yeah. why aren't yeah. they doing that? And there's also this sort of like criticism of saying, well, they are, they're they are not Latinos in the same sense um, as someone who was like born or grew up in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Like they are viewed as like as like Mexican, mm -hmm. um, not Mexican American, not Mexican American, right? right? Because they were. I mean, they did. You know, they've first built their careers in Mexico, right? Um, and and you know, they do come from like well-off families, right? So, I think that they've had a very different experience, perhaps, than someone who was born and raised in the U.S. or who grew up in the U.S. and like what opportunities they've had access to. Totally. So there's like a bunch of things to unpack there, right? Because I, I do think that some of it is not just. Uh, like where you were born, but it also has a lot to do with access to capital. Oh yeah, and and like how you grew up, not just like where oh, we haven't up. even gotten into the socioeconomics behind Latino identity, which is something we're, we will definitely tap into in the fourth episode. But I, I think you bring bring up an, a number of interesting points. Is it fair for us to criticize these Mexican directors for not telling Mexican stories? And to compare them to, let's say, Spike Lee, who's who is also minority director, but whose work is almost exclusively about black identity. Um, I think you're absolutely right to bring up the fact that they didn't grow up as Mexicans in America. They grew up as Mexicans in Mexico. So in many ways and and well off and well off Mexicans in Mexico. Exactly. So the story. So they've you know, it, 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 they've had the kind of creative luxury of being able to create stories that kind of come from wherever the, the deepest recesses of their brains because they didn't have the same kinds of worries. Uh, well, I hate I, I hate to say that like only rich people can come up with creative stories because that is not true. That is by no, no means well, true. No, I think I think I think the point is not that that uh, they're the only ones with the ability to come up with creative stories, but they are few of the people who have the ability to to take those creative ideas and those creative stories and actually put them into. That's a exactly film, it. That's right? exactly it. Creativity comes from people of all different and backgrounds. I want to be very clear about that in case that there was any confusion. Um, but it's true that the 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 ability to take something from an idea into full realization of that idea. I mean, it has to also do with connections and yeah. money and like who you know. And, and that's that true like in every with industry. With the race or industry right. or, or ethnicity. Right. Exactly. Um, but I, I think it's a very fair point to bring up here. Yeah. One, one of the things though, that I do really appreciate about their work in particular is this idea of them not having to uh, because they are Mexican, having to tell Mexican stories and that's the only kind of work that people want to see from them. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. Um, like Shape of Water is like one of my you know, favorite films from last year and something that I uh, that I feud with Ira over <laughs> because he hates that movie. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I hate how much hate the movie gets every time I <laughs> listen to Keep It and I let him know on Twitter all the time. Um, but like I love that movie and I love that it has nothing to do with like being Mexican or have you know like yeah so yeah. I think and, Same with and Birdman so, and, by right. the way I and mean. so my point is like why can't we have some Latinos in those films playing those kinds of roles that have nothing to do with you know being Mexican like why can't a Latina love a fish <laughs> as Julissa spills coffee all over her laptop because that's how hyped up I am about <laughs> this conversation. I, I will say that I think regardless of the kind of the the stories that they are telling, how I am so happy that they are able to tell those stories and that they have made an impact in the way that they have here in America. Um, I, guy. I, I also make one last point before we take a quick break here. Um, what we're pointing at with the importance of these three Mexican directors uh, and, and beyond the just these three directors uh, is the importance of representation off camera. So as much as it's imp imperative for us to talk about seeing Latinas, uh, Latinos on camera, 
uh, and seeing Latinos in on stage and in front of audiences, we cannot stress enough the importance of having uh, directors and DPs and PAs and uh, and writers, writers and I mean, showrunners, all all of that. And and by the way, managers and agents and um, network executives too, and development executives, because those are the people that are going to be green lighting and honing the projects from all of the kinds of creative types that we've talked about uh, until that representation is is uh, greater than or equal to representation uh, until that until we see more of that we're just not going to see more representation because y- you have access to these communities uh, of creators that you wouldn't otherwise so um, I just you know what's, what's also I think I think we also almost even have to start before um, it, like it even starts before uh, all of that right not not before but I think there's also something to be said for like what stories are being written in like books yeah. and uh, and like what what are kids reading oh in my like God. school, right? Because I, um, so in 2015, only 2.4% of all children's books mm-hmm. had a, uh, had Latinx stories in them wow. of all children's. And, and what's, let me tell you something. Animals, trucks, Etc. made up 12.5% of children's books. Latinx characters made up 2.4%. So you're going to see a truck. And bunnies. And and a bunny before you see a little Latino kid. Yes. Oh, my God. And I know I like, you know, I know that, you know, I keep talking about my book, but but this is like really, really why I had to write someone like me because I need kids to know I need young adults to know that their stories matter that their stories are so important that there are books written about them yeah because then they're gonna grow up feeling like we need to tell our stories not just in books but like in movies and films and in the theater you know on Broadway I mean to, everywhere to bring this this area this conversation to entertainment as well on camera um I've I've done a lot of voiceover work in my career, and uh, there's a particular lack of Latino speaking roles, even in animated movies and animated television shows. In 2016, only 3.1 percent of speaking characters in animated films were Latino. 3.1 mm-hmm. percent. 3.1 that's crazy. Which yeah, I mean is crazy. that's like represented. I mean that goes exactly. to like almost hand in hand with this children's book. And it is stat. important because we're both talking about what kids are being exposed to at a young age whether it's on camera or in books we're seeing a significant lack of latino voices for kids specifically so this crosses mediums i think it's great that you brought up that that point about books um because it it just it ties in hand in hand um so i'll bring it back to this i i ultimately believe that uh, the best way to combat this lack of representation is as much access as possible to different voices, to Hispanic voices, uh, Latino voices in particular. But we want good content and we want specific experiences. We don't want a generic reboot of something that's made to retrofit an immigrant story when we can have a real, unique, original story about immigration. And we want good content above all because you can shove Latino representation down our faces, but if it's bullshit and if it's not engaging, it's not funny and it's not compelling storytelling, we're not going to watch it. Yeah. And you know what? Like, let's create our own content, too. Like, you know, if, if things aren't happening the way that we want them to happen, then, like, we need to pick up cameras and we need to pick up mics and, you know, we need to make it happen. Like, even with us doing this series, right? Like, yes, we had to make it happen. Like, yeah. we had to reach out and we had to say, this is what we want to do. Yep. And, you know, I'm very glad and happy that we have such a supportive um, a supportive team at Crooked, mm-hmm. but like we also had to speak up and yeah. say like, hey, we want to do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So props. So what I'm saying is we're wonderful and you guys should <laughs> love us. Um, no, we, we're very proud to be doing this. And, and I mean, I really just think this is the beginning of conversations that, that we can have about our um, identity and culture. And, uh, and um, we'll be right back. Julissa, when I need healthy food and I need it fast, do you know where I turn? Where do you turn? Well, I tried turning to Erewhon for a while here in Los Angeles. Way too expensive. I don't even know what that is. It's it, it's better that way. It's just it, the more you know about Erewhon, the worse of a human you are. I turned to Daily Harvest. Yeah, delivers perfectly portioned cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door. All you have to do is add water or your favorite milk to your cup and just blend or heat. And their new savory harvest bowls are an amazing healthy dinner that's faster than takeout. So is it like a... 
acai bowl from the future where yeah. like all you have to do is just like put some little water in it and then ta-da, you get an amazing meal. All the nutrients you need, much tastier than Soylent. Did you ever try Soylent? No. Me neither, and I don't plan on it. Daily Harvest, uh, new plant-based, ready-to-blend protein smoothies actually have me excited about my gym days, uh, even though I am weak and have the upper body strength of um, a gnat. I full-on did a push press with my suitcase on this last trip I was on. Really? Yeah, because it was so heavy because I was gone for like a whole week. Yeah. And I... I had I like picked up my suitcase and I was like this is going to be heavy and I thought <laughs> you know I have I have training for this I go to CrossFit <laughs> and so I took my suitcase I I pulled it up and then I did straight up a push press a pu- to put it in the bin. <laughs> It was amazing. CrossFit coming into handy in real life. Um, each of Daily Harvest's dessert-inspired flavors packs in at least 10 grams of protein with no chalky powders. And Daily Harvest cups are portable so you can fuel up on the go. So go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CROOKEDCONVOS to get three cups What's your free. favorite one, though? Uh, I like the berry one. That's such a lie. I haven't tried them yet. Do you guys like that I was about to straight up lie and then Julissa caught me? I can't do it. I'm a very bad liar. But... But from the examples they have given us here, oh. I can tell you which ones I would be most excited to try. Uh, okay, which ones would you? I like? would be excited to try the chocolate with hazelnut protein. That sounds really good. I'm into that. There is another example of a beet and sesame poke bowl. I do love a poke bowl. Yeah. Yeah, I'm into that. So All this right. sounds good and I want to try it. Savory and sweet. If you want it, Daily Harvest has it. It's promo code Crooked Convos for the first three free Daily Harvest Cups at daily-harvest.com, daily-harvest.com. Have you guys heard of the RFK Tapes podcast? Sure have. Yep. 1968 was tumultuous. The Vietnam War was... Is that... That's an understatement. It sure is. It sure is. Vietnam War was escalating. Civil rights demonstrations were being met with violence. Martin Luther King was assassinated, but there was hope. Senator Robert F. Kennedy was running for president on a platform of peace and unity. Then, just after delivering his victory speech in the California Democratic primary, Kennedy was shot down in the pantry of the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. That's a spoiler. A lone gunman was captured at the scene, revolver in hand. The LAPD called it an open and shut case, but was it? In the new podcast, the RFK Tapes from the creators of Crime Town, host Zach Stewart-Pontier joins up with researcher Bill Kleber to explore troubling questions about one of the most significant crimes in American history. Was there a second gunman? Who was the woman in the polka dot dress? Why did the police secretly destroy crucial pieces of evidence and then keep their case files sealed for 20 years? Wow. Why? I don't know. We gotta listen. I don't like this cliffhanger. Check out the RFK tapes. You can binge all 10 episodes right now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You're the first person that we thought of as a guest because you just crossed so many different um, interests of ours and and, and uh, I think are just such a voice for us to, you know, when we're exploring Latino identity to consult. And, um, and also so we, wanted, we yeah. wanted to have, I wanted to have you on the show because I've been trying to get on your show to no avail. <laughs> so welcome. So welcome to our show. Well, well, all right. All right. Maybe now it's going to be your turn. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, you know, first we want to get into a couple things. Uh, I, I always point to your iconic moment of standing up against Trump, um, yeah. being unafraid to have your voice heard is something that I, I think me and my, my family uh, who are Mexican uh, are just so, so in awe of. And that moment stands out as one of the more iconic moments of the 2016 election. So thank you for that. Um, thank you. And, you know, it, it's it's a good starting point, I think, for us, because uh, you have had the distinction of transcending two cultures in your career uh, in two countries, in Mexico and in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I read that you were born in Mexico, but you became a U.S. citizen in 2008. And that was a decision that you felt some conflict about. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're feeling? I lived for 25 years in Mexico City. And, and then I obviously I was and I am Mexican. But I wanted to live another 25 years in another country, in this case, in the United States, before I became a U.S. citizen. So for me, it was a perfect math. 25 years in Mexico, 25 years in the U.S., Mm -hmm. then you become a U.S. citizen. And as a matter of fact, I have two passports. I have a green passport from Mexico and a blue passport from the U.S. And and I don't have to choose. I am Mexican-American. Uh, with an accent, with a Chilango accent from from Mexico City. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I decide if I'm from Mexico or from the United States, depending on how long is the line 
at yeah. the Mexico City Airport. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's what I do. That's amazing. I that I do that also. I have I have the two passports and. Um, recently, though, I forgot my Mexican passport when I traveled to Mexico, and but I didn't want to stand in the U.S. line because for me, you know, I was undocumented for a long time, and so I never felt really American. Even now, when I have a U.S. passport, sometimes I still don't feel accepted in America. And so going that's to Mexico, that's strange, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's, that's a that's a very difficult experience. Uh, as as I wrote in the book, a book I wrote recently, I I think I'll never be. American enough to many Americans. Right. The same way I'll never be Mexican enough to many Mexicans. You know, that's something that we're, we're asking ourselves during the, the journey of this series, even how, how you identify as far as what terms you use to identify yourself. The difference between, uh, you know, do you call yourself Hispanic, Latino? You refer to yourself as Mexican. Are you Mexican-American? How, how do you identify? Recently, I had a, a beautiful conversation with Sandra Cisneros. Oh, love her. Well, and Sandra told me something that has helped me a lot. Um, I was telling her, well, you know, it's it's very difficult because all the time people are asking me, are you Mexican or are you an American? Mm-hmm. And they want to, to test your loyalties. Mm-hmm. So she told me something beautiful. She said, Ay, Jorge, tranquilo, don't worry. <laughs> Eres un anfibio. You are an amphibian. <laughs> and, she's, and she's absolutely right because... We're doing an interview in English right now, but just in a few in a few minutes, I'm going to be doing a newscast in Spanish. Mm-hmm. I communicate with my kids in Spanish, but they answer back in English. I and I'm also a translator from the Spanish-speaking world to to the English one, and then I spend a lot of time with uh, immigrants and undocumented immigrants, and I'm really trying to communicate their feelings and their interest to a population that has never talked to one of them. Mm -hmm. So I am amphibian, (laughs) a translator, and and there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with with alebrijes. Alebrijes, it's it's complicated to explain, but alebrijes are uh, pieces of art, sculptures, composed by uh, different parts of animals. So you can have uh, a piece of an elephant and then a piece of a lion and a piece of a rat and a piece of a dog, everything mm. put together. Again, Sandra Cisneros told me, if you don't feel comfortable being an amphibian, then you are an alebrije. And, mm. and let me just give you an example. My, my son, Nicolás, he is Porto, Cuban, Mexican, American. Mm. In other words, we are composed by, by many different origins right. and, mm-hmm. and groups, and I feel very comfortable with that. Alebrijes are in, in Coco, actually. Coco, the movie. That's has, true. Absolutely, yes. yes. And the alebrijes are, are beautiful. Yes. They are, they are used to um, make sure that the bad spirits don't uh, attack you. So mm-hmm. right at the entrance of a room, you put an alebrije and, and he or she is supposed to protect you. So then ice will stay out as yes, long as you have an yes. alebrije there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wish. It was that simple. I'm going to get like 10 of them. Um, <laughs> Jorge, you were talking about the fact that you know you, right now you, we're doing this interview in English and then you're going to go and, have, and do an interview in Spanish. And, you know, growing up, you were a staple in our home, right? Watching Noticiero Univision, um, the evening news. Mm-hmm. And now you have a show in English on Facebook, Real America with Jorge Ramos. And I'm wondering, why was it important for you or was it important for you to do this show in English? And do you think the audience you're trying to reach is different than the audience you reach with Univision? Yeah, with with Univision, it's really part of my family. And I've, I've been telling an anecdote recently that at the beginning, people used to stop and say, oh, I watch your newscast. And then it was... My mom watches your newscast. <laughs> and lately it's been, my abuelita is watching your newscast. <laughs> I've been doing that for, for 35 years. But I have, to, I have to admit that English in this country is a language of power. Hmm. And, and if I want to have any kind of influence on what's happening in the political debate, on what's happening with immigration, making sure that Trump's point of view does not prevail and that there's a counterpoint, that, that we can communicate the voice of the voiceless, then it has to be done in English. And then sometimes I do 
what some people might consider political suicide, which is <laughs> I go to Fox News, I accept their invitation, mm -hmm. and I have I debate with Tucker Carlson. And you and me both. Yeah, we, we, we got to do that because otherwise their audience, the audience that most likely voted for President Trump is not going to be listening to different points of view. Right. So I think it is important. It was important for me when I accepted uh, this this other job that I have. As you know, as, as immigrants, we have many jobs. All <laughs> right. <the time. laughs> Always. And, and, we and, we, and we get the job done. Exactly. Yes, many, many times. I don't know how many jobs I have, but I, I bet you I, <laughs> it's more than five or six. <laughs> but what, what I'm saying is that that's why I uh, accepted this job with with Facebook. And, and the reality is that there's a migration of eyes, huge migration from big screens to small screens. And we are losing sometimes the audience on TV. And so I wanted to reach people who feel more comfortable in English and people who don't even own a TV set. Yeah. I think that that's, that's definitely the wave of the, of the, the way that we are all consuming so. media yeah. uh, without without fail yeah. regardless of uh, generation and like in entertainment uh, sometimes we talk about artists like crossing over right like doing the crossover to, into English and we've seen that with like you know the way with like Selena and Eugenio Derbez and Thalia and I kind of mm -hmm. feel like that's what's happening um, with this new show that you have almost doing that crossover into Uh, perhaps what like people consider like mainstream American outlets. I remember you saying on The Daily Show that you were like, Donald Trump hates my accent. And it made me and my family laugh. My, my father has a, a very thick Mexican accent. And yeah. it is true that there is bias against Hispanics is. who have an accent. Is, It's do you all think, right now. Yeah. Do you think that generally uh, uh, having a, a Mexican or, or a Latin, uh, an accent with Latin origin is considered a negative in American culture? Well, I'm not sure, but I, every time that I speak, people say, oh, he's not from here. Right. No, he's not part of us. Right. He's, mm. fr he's from somewhere else. As a matter of fact, everybody's from somewhere else. Uh, exactly. Right. So exactly. I came here when I was 25 years, 24 years old. I didn't speak English very well back then. And so it was, it was difficult for me to understand um, everything. And even now, With Paola and Nicolás, my kids, they help me constantly. Whenever I say a word <laughs> that is mispronounced, they they help me. But I think I've been able to to have enough command of the language to communicate all the things that I want to do. Yeah. And 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 also the your accent is is telling you a story. In 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 my case and in every case, it's a beautiful story. When I say uh, simply by saying simple words like Mexico or the United States. Simple words immediately are, are telling the people, he's coming from another place. He was born in another place. Mm -hmm. um, his parents are uh, Jorge and Maria. In, uh, in other words, just by saying a few words immediately is telling the other Uh, who you are and I love that isn't that well I was just going to say I'm glad to hear you say that you love that because I, I think in so many ways that is a perpetuation of our culture that we I think are, are seeing being erased as time goes on but the, the beautiful thing about it is how much you can say by not saying much at all uh, about your background and I guess with regard to your children do you feel like they combat this by actively trying not to have an accent do you think do, I'm not sure if they have accents but is it something no, that they're you're fully bilingual yeah they're fully bilingual uh -huh. but something something that is happening and I think is um, the context of the conversation that we're having is that there is an incredible demographic revolution happening in this country in, in 1965 as an example about 80% of the population was white mm -hmm. and yeah. right now it's about 60% 62% and in 2044 and, and I hope to be here in 2044 uh Everyone, absolutely everyone, is going to be part of a minority. In other words, the right. country is, is becoming a minority-majority country. Everyone right. is going to be a minority. And what does that mean? It means accents. It means different colors. It means different points of view. And the only way to survive this is with um, respect and with tolerance mm -hmm. and accepting that diversity is one of the strengths of this country and that's not if you ask Tucker Carlson <laughs> exactly and so w when we're talking about colors and when we're talking about accents that is precisely uh, where we are going now I do understand that President Trump and, and, and some of his supporters might think that the country is changing too fast mm -hmm. but I'm telling them it's already too late for that right I mean one month after President Trump then candidate Trump announced his candidacy One month, more than half of all the babies 
born in this country were part of a minority. Yeah. So this demographic revolution is not going to stop and we better get used to it. Mm, yeah. I love it. I love that. I love it. I want to go back to something that you said earlier in this in this sort of moment of standing up to Trump and you know I I love how outspoken you are in in defending immigrants and in standing up for immigrants and for undocumented immigrants and not making it as you know I came here the right way and then everybody mm. else after me shouldn't because that's something I hear a lot. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, journalists go through great lengths to be seen as nonpartisan, to be viewed as objective. And here you are showing all your cards, being super outspoken in your support of immigrants. So one question I have for you in regards to that is, do you ever feel like you lose credibility with your audience that they may think that you're not presenting the facts? No, and, and it's been, that's a, that's a very interesting debate. And, but I find that people trust me more now because on certain occasions I am taking a stand. I, I believe that as, as a journalist, you have two big responsibilities. The first responsibility is to report reality as it is, not as you wish it would be. So if it's red, I got to say red. If 17 people die, I say 17. That's the basic. And any reporter from any part of the world should be able to cover a hurricane or a storm or, an at or a terrorist attack or an election the same way, more or less the same way, right? Mm -hmm. But then the other, and I believe more important social responsibility that we have, it is to question those who are in power. And when it comes to racism, discrimination, corruption, public lies, dictatorships, in violation of human rights, I think that as journalists, we have to take a stand. Because if I don't take a stand, if I don't question those who are in power or those who want to, to get into power, then who's going to do that? Right. We, it, is, it is our job to ask the tough questions. And when you have a president like President Trump who makes racist remarks, who makes sexist remarks, who makes homophobic remarks, you got to take a stand. Yeah. And so therefore... I, th I think we are in a moment as, as journalists that we are rethinking uh, ethically and morally what we should do as, as correspondents, as reporters. And again, if you have someone in the White House that is um, supporting racism and discrimination, you simply got to say no. And that's our job as journalists. Great. So, you know, I use this Stitch Fix service for my clothing needs because yes. I'm like really bad about styling things. Like yeah. I'll buy a shirt and then I'll never wear it because I don't know like what pants to wear, yeah, yeah, to wear yeah. with. I'm but with Stitch you. Fix has helped me to send me like whole outfits or they'll send me different things that I can buy and then I will keep what I like mm -hmm. and then what I don't like. I send it back, mm -hmm. but it's like having a personal stylist. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the service. Uh -huh. So Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. Just go to stitchfix.com slash crookedconvos and tell them your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend on each of them. So this is a true story. I'm on stitchfix.com right now. And I didn't know that you could style for women, men, and kids, too. I don't have kids, but I imagine some of you guys do. That's convenient because kids just ruin things. Yeah. So do, why would you buy things when you can? My husband, is, is he's very stylish on his own. I've noticed that. But, right? Yes, he's yeah, very stylish. Yeah, he's a very well-dressed guy. Shout out to Mr. Julissa. Yeah, Mr. Fernando. <laughs> um, yeah, but so he doesn't need it, but I do. Uh, I sometimes take him shopping with me, and then he's like, my stitch fix in person. I love that. Yeah. So you'll be paired with your very own personal stylist mm -hmm. who will handpick five items to send right to your door. Mm -hmm. Then you try them on, pay f only for what you love and return the rest. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. There's no subscription required. You can sign up to receive scheduled shipments or get your fix whenever you want. Ooh. Stitch fix styling fee is only $20, which mm. is applied towards anything that you keep from your shipment. Mm -hmm. To get started now, go to stitchfix.com slash crookedconvos and you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash crookedconvos to get started today. I like that you can keep stuff too. If you really like something, it's yours. Stitchfix.com slash crookedconvos. And I'm just going to throw an extra one for free because I feel like it. Yeah. Stitchfix.com slash crookedconvos. I like that third one. 
McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Brabble. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries, for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. I know I, I know I complain that sometimes because I am Latina and I am an immigrant, that a lot of times I'm asked to talk only about immigration when yeah. in reality I'm a full human being who is capable of having many more interests and caring about many other things. I'm not even an immigrant. I was born here in America, but I'm Latina, and the same thing happens to me. I'm called upon to ask about immigration all the time. It's an issue I care strongly about, but you know it's very frustrating when these are the only things that we're constantly asked about. I, I agree. I, I agree with you, and I think we are going from big numbers to power. And that means that, for instance, right now we're about 60 million Latinos, and in about 30 years it's going to be 100 million Latinos. We're going to be one in three in this country in just a few decades. It's going to be Latino. So, so I, I I agree with I and and I do understand your frustration because. So how do we write uh, that cycle so that we have more Latino Latina journalists who? It's been broken. It's, it's been broken already. I mean, I see uh, important Latinos everywhere now. Just a few a few years ago, it was very difficult to do that when we were five million, when we were ten million. But now that you we're sixty million, we are seeing Latinos in some of the most important jobs in in this country. Just think of Sonia Sotomayor, for instance, or, or the uh, think of the astronauts or professors at Ivy League universities or CEOs. I mean, we see more and more. But but I think the the problem is that being about twenty percent of the population. We do not have the political representation and the professional representation and the representation in the media that we deserve. So it is, it is up to us, because who, who else is going to do that? It is up to you and to me to speak for those who don't have a voice yet. I wish we could have that, that 20% of the people working in the media uh, were Latinos. That's not the case. I wish that we could have... Uh, instead of 30 members of Congress uh, that are Latinos, that we could have 70 or 80, but we don't. And guess what? We only have four senators. Where mm-hmm. are the other 16? Yeah. So right. yes, it is, it is frustrating. I, I understand the frustration that we should be able to speak about many other things. And I, I believe me, I, I try to do that. But meanwhile, it is up to you, I think, and to us and to me, to speak for for those who don't have a voice, right? Yeah, and I also think it's important to um, to pass the mic when you know when yeah. somebody does want to, to speak up for themselves. Because I know that you know being undocumented or having been undocumented, people always ask me to come on and talk about being undocumented. But I try to sometimes find people like when the DACA situation happened. Everybody wanted to talk to me about DACA, but I never even had DACA. Right. Yeah. So in some cases, I will go and talk about DACA because I understand it, because I understand what it's like to be a young undocumented person in this country. But sometimes I'm also trying to find someone who is a DACA recipient who can um, you know, advocate for themselves also. And, and you're absolutely right in terms of what what do we care? What are our concerns? It is very clear. Just Paul after Paul says that the most important issues for Latinos. First, education, uh, jobs, and then maybe, maybe immigration might be number three or number four. It's healthcare Um, and then immigration. Yeah, exactly. So, so there are many other issues that we, that we care about. And the other day I was talking to my, my daughter, Paola. Paola, she's 30. And we were very frustrated because it is very clear that in the next few years, we want Forget about getting immigration reform. It is going to be almost impossible to even talk about it. So we were saying, so what are we going to do? And it is very clear that we have many other issues uh, in which we can get involved. Mm-hmm. Just registering people to go out and vote uh, when it comes to healthcare, and then when it comes to, to education. That's, that's so important. And then wherever you are, wherever you live, you have the possibility to to make a change. I came from McAllen, Texas two days ago 
-hmm. And I was talking with uh, Sister Norma Pimentel. Yeah, she's Sister amazing. Norma has done an incredible job. M many of the immigrants uh, who are being detained at the border in that region of the country, and after uh, they, they go through the process, and then they're being let go. They don't have a, a place to go. So they go to the center uh, uh, administered by, by Sister Norma, and she's doing an incredible job. So uh, many people, I think, we were, we were asking the wrong question for many, many years. We were asking, where is the next Cesar Chavez, or where is the next mm -hmm. Dolores Huerta? And that was the wrong question, because the real question was that we didn't need one Cesar Chavez, or one Dolores Huerta, but a million Cesar Chavez right. and a million Dolores Huerta. And there are many things that we can actually do in order to um, yeah. to change and, this country. And yeah, and we've, we've, we've tried to, in this series, also um, take a look at, and, and, to, and, and one of our, our second episode in the series uh, was about exactly highlighting the civil rights contributions of Latinos in America, because mm -hmm. there was more than uh, than Cesar Chavez and 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 Dolores Huerta. There were so many more activists that were involved in fights around education and jobs that uh, that a lot of people don't know about. I know I I you know I had to do a lot of research in the last few years to really learn more about where were Latinos during the civil rights movement. Exactly, and so so that's. I, I do believe that the moment that we are living right now has to do precisely with civil rights. It was, I think there's so much to learn from the African-American community. And I think immigra immigration right now is it's a new frontier of civil rights. Because when you have mm -hmm. 11 million undocumented immigrants and people that are not being treated as, as human beings, something, something's gotta change. And then on the other hand, we also have to showcase those Latinos who've done great I, I'm really honored to say that I know Dr. Alfredo Quinones. He's one of the most important neurosurgeons in the whole country. Mm -hmm. And he's saving lives every single day. And we don't report that on TV and we don't report that um, in, in the media. But he's simply changing lives one at a time. Mm -hmm. um, people who are doing the, or, or sexiest occupations that get the most attention for the work that they're doing. Um, you know, you also said something regarding um, the perception of immigrants. Uh, you said in the past that the U.S. under Reagan was very accepting and welcoming of immigrants. And now under, of course, his present administration, that's not the case. Why do you think that shift has happened? I mean, I think we're pointing, and I think you correctly point to the idea that um, immigration really is kind of the, the next wave of civil rights here in America. But it just seems like there's been such a such a, a shift very quickly in the last couple of decades. Um, yeah. What's the what's the origin of that? Well, one has to do with with the demographic changes that we are seeing. Many people don't feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. That's the fact. The the law changed in 1965 in the immigration law. Mm -hmm. And that law change went from quotas to family reunification and accepting people with, with uh, different talents. And mm -hmm. that changed absolutely everything. Right. So people don't feel comfortable with that. People are resentful that they are seeing people with different colors and different accents coming from countries they can't even pronounce. Mm -hmm. And they, mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't like that. But I, can, but I gotta point, point out what happened in 9-11. After 9-11, before 9-11, uh, George W. Bush and President Vicente Fox in Mexico, ca can you believe it? They were negotiating an immigration agreement. Yeah. Back oh then, they God. were even discussing the possibility that both countries were gonna have some kind of an um, agreement that was going to make it easier for Mexicans to come legally to the United States because immigration, after all, is simply a matter. It's an economic phenomenon. It has to do with supply and demand. Right. But then 9-11 happened. 19 terrorists killed almost 3,000 Americans. And I think that changed everything because after that, George W. Bush didn't have the, the will, and I can understand why, of negotiating an immigration agreement. We started talking about security concerns and and everything changed. So after that, well, the last amnesty or the last immigration reform that we had was in, in 1986. Mm -hmm. And after 9-11, um, nothing has happened other than DACA in 2012. Right. And that changed, that changed everything. And I think we are still under the influence of those, of those years yeah. in which terrorism was the most important thing. And now security concerns saying that 
the border is not secure, which is absolutely false, by the way. There is no invasion. <laughs> right. And, and, and the U.S. is not under threat and nothing is happening at the border. But again, when you have people like Donald Trump and his followers saying things like that, others believe it. Yeah. Right. I was um, in college in in 2001, and, and I remember being so excited about the DREAM Act um, because I would have changed my whole life, and then 9-11 happened, and then we saw what happened. So I totally, um, I totally can, I can put myself on that day seeing how much changed. Um, we did, we, I did want to ask you about, um, you know, there is a real lack of Latinx representation in newsrooms, both on camera and off camera. And even in Spanish speaking channels, there isn't much diversity, right? We often see light skinned Latinos on camera. And we see that in entertainment too. Like I was just in Mexico a couple of weeks ago and there was a novela and, you know, a lot of the telenovelas growing up were uh, blonde girl, blonde girls with blue eyes, uh, Mexican girls, um, but we didn't see a lot of representation. And so, you know, even even on Univision, we don't see a lot of Afro-Latinos or dark-skinned people as anchors uh, or being on camera. So how do we hold ourselves responsible so that we can hold others responsible for better representation? I, I agree with your question. I think it's, it's absolutely fair. But um, for more than a year, I've been doing a newscast with Ilya Calderon, who's a yeah. descendant from, mm -hmm. from Colombia. And and that that's also part of our commitment to, to diversity. And I do understand also what's happening in the English language media. But then um, for the first time, we have two national anchors, Tom Llamas from ABC News mm -hmm. and Jose Diaz-Balar, who works for NBC during the weekends, who are anchoring national newscast. I think that's, that's progress. I think uh, we're doing better. Of course, it's never enough. Again, we are 20% of the population, mm -hmm. and we don't have that representation either in the media nor in politics. But I do see progress. I do see that on certain areas we are doing better. And I hope that, at least in the place where I work, uh, things are changing. Because you have to go. <laughs> I do want to get one last, uh, and this is going to be a, a big question, so right. you know, answer how, how, um, how you want. But, but one, of, one of the things that, um, just today I was reading this, this article about you know, Latinos aren't getting out to vote, and it's, and it's been frustrating because our community has been under tremendous attack, especially in the last couple of years of this administration. And it's frustrating that we're still not going out to vote and, and we're not registering. So what are your thoughts on the things that we can do to get more Latinos registered and out to vote? Well, first of all, let, let me just say that if, if we don't like what is happening in Washington, if we don't like what you see in government right now, it's our fault, completely our fault. In the last election in 2016, there were 27 million Latinos eligible to vote, 27 million, and 14 million didn't vote. Mm -hmm. They decided to stay home. I understand the reasons. Many people didn't feel comfortable voting for Donald Trump, and many people, we have to say that, didn't feel comfortable trusting the Democrats. Why? Simply because Barack Obama had promised to introduce immigration reform, for instance, in the first year, in his first year in office, and he didn't do it. He didn't deliver. And then he deported two and a half million undocumented immigrants. That's just one issue. But the truth is that many Latinos felt that Democrats were offering them exactly the same thing, and they didn't like that. Mm -hmm. So having the option of choosing between Trump and Democrats, 14 million stay home. Mm. I, I think that if some of those millions had voted in states like uh, Florida and Arizona, it would have been a completely different result. Right. So it's been said a, a lot in the past, but elections matter. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I became, and, and this might be a, a, a good way to, to close the circle, when I became a U.S. citizen in 2008, I did it because I, I hated what had happened during the war in Iraq. I... I didn't, I hated the idea that we started a war with a lie saying that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and that was not true. Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to make sure that for me and for my kids, this was going to be the country that I envisioned, not, not the country that I had seen in the previous years. Mm -hmm. So I, I said, I'm going to participate fully in this country because I don't want that to happen to me. And I have the possibility 
of changing at least with one vote what's going to happen in this country. And since then, I, I've always voted. As a matter of fact, I vote in Mexico and I vote here in the United States. <gasps> That's so, so cool. I love yeah, that. I do. I do. Because I'm, again, I'm an amphibian. What do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> Jorge, you are, you are also a real inspiration to us. Thank you so much for being as candid and outspoken as you are and for taking the time to, uh, to talk to us today. We're, we're big fans and so glad to have you as part of this series. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much. It was a great conversation. Thank you. And then I'll talk soon to, with you on your show. <laughs> we will. <laughs> we will. We Thank will. you Well, that was something. It was. I can recognize Jorge Ramos's voice from anywhere, like anywhere. Julissa got physically giddy when uh, just hearing his voice. I mean, I, I think oh, God, all of us are such big fans, but I, I definitely recognize like. Your body language is just like oh, I was so excited to I talk know. to him. It was it was it was such it was such an amazing opportunity to be able to sit down with him and get his thoughts. And uh, I feel like I'm smarter just <laughs> from having spoken to him. He is he is really iconic. Uh, and you know what? This episode is iconic, Julissa. What an awesome conversation! Um, I so uh, I just am thrilled that we're able to to dive deep into this, and I hope that you guys are enjoying it. We have more to come with defining us here on Cricket Conversations. Yes, and if you haven't already subscribed to Cricket Conversations, make sure that you subscribe so that you can be the first to know that a new episode is out. Yes. Uh, follow us on Twitter at GracePar360 at Julissa Arce, and as I mentioned in the last episode, if you wanna. Learn more about these amazing Latinx stories. Uh, please follow the hashtag 30 Days of Latinx on my Twitter, my Facebook, my Instagram. And um, we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>